Good morning. Welcome this 20th Sunday after Pentecost to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. Whether you are a long-term member, a first-time visitor, or somewhere in between, we are very glad you're here. We have a lot happening in today's service, so we ask uh, as we proceed uh, that you be mindful of others and turn off your cell phone as a gift to yourself and your neighbor. We continue to follow COVID safety protocols as well, which means that at 10, at here at our 1030 service, you may commune from your pew using a communable, which you would pick up outside the sanctuary in the narthex, or receive at the front rails, whichever your preference. The ushers, if you choose the latter, will direct you accordingly. Finally, we do have childcare available upstairs if you wish to use it, although your children are also welcome to remain here with us in worship. All people stand in need of God's forgiveness, everyone from the Pharisee to the tax collector. Thankfully, our God is merciful to all sinners. But does God forgive all sins? This morning, we wrestle with Jeremiah 14, where God whose words appear in bold type as reprinted in the bulletin itself, apparently refrains from forgiving God's people. Their pleas appear in regular type simply to provide clarity regarding who's speaking. In the original full chapter, you have three speakers. It's very confusing. So again, in the excerpts we have here, you have two speakers, the people in regular type, God signified in the bold for the sake of clarity. Our gathering hymn today is Rise, Shine, You People, number 665 in the red hymnal. Please rise as you are able.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the reign of God and for peace throughout the world, for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For your people here who have come to give you praise, for the strength to live your word, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, and defend us, O God. We invite you to remain standing as you're able, and please turn uh, to face the font as we welcome um, the family of the baptized E. <laughs> Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day and the opportunity to welcome one new member into the body of Christ through baptism. 
Open all our hearts and minds to your promises in this rite of grace and mercy and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, who is rich in mercy and love, gives us a new birth into a living hope through the sacrament of baptism. By water and the word, God delivers us from the powers of sin and death and raises us to new life in Jesus Christ. We are united with all the baptized in the one body of Christ, anointed with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and joined in God's mission for the life of the world. Sponsors, if you would repeat after me, we present Callum for baptism. Justin and Brianna, called by the Holy Spirit, trusting in the grace and love of God, do you desire to have Callum baptized into Christ? As you bring your child to receive the gift of baptism, you are entrusted with responsibilities to live with him among God's faithful people, bring him to the word of God and the Holy Supper, teach him the Lord's Prayer, the creeds, and the Ten Commandments, Place in his hands the Holy Scriptures, although you might want to make sure he can read <laughs> before you do that, and nurture him in faith and prayer so that he may learn to trust God, proclaim Christ through word and deed, care for others and the world God made, and work for justice and peace. Justin and Brianna, do you promise to help Callum grow in the Christian faith and life? Christine and Garrett, as sponsors, do you promise to nurture Callum in the Christian faith as you are empowered by God's spirit and to help him be mindful of his identity as a child of God and to live out that identity in communion with the church? I ask you to profess your faith in Christ Jesus, reject sin and confess the faith of the church do you renounce the devil and all the forces that defy God, the powers of this world that rebel against God, and the ways of sin that draw you from God? Parents and sponsors, if so, say, we renounce them. We renounce them. To the congregation, do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again as the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We give you thanks, O God, for the life-giving waters of holy baptism. Pour out your Holy Spirit, the power of your living word, that those who are washed in these waters may be given new life. 
To you be given honor and praise through Jesus Christ our Lord in the unity of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Callum Lee Donard, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The family apparently has been practicing this with Callum. <laughs> he did really well. Congregation, please follow. Blessed be God, the source of all life, the word of salvation, the spirit of mercy. Let us pray. We give you thanks, O God, that through water and the Holy Spirit, you give your children new birth, cleanse them from sin, and raise them to eternal life. Sustain Callum with the gift of your Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the spirit of joy in your presence, both now and forever. Amen. Callum, child of God, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. Amen. Callum, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Please welcome Callum, our newly baptized Justin and Brianna into our assembly, the body of Christ as it exists here at Queen Anne Lutheran Church. The Lord be with you. And also Let us pray. Holy God, our righteous judge, daily you surprise us with your ongoing forgiveness. Lead us back to you when we wander and grant that all the peoples of the earth may find their glory in you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You may be seated. The first reading... A reading from Jeremiah. In a time of drought, the people pray for mercy, repenting of their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They appeal to God to remember the covenant, to show forth God's power, and to heal their land by sending life-giving rain. And if you follow along on page 10 in your bulletin, you will see the bold part that Pastor said is what the Lord God says, as opposed to all of the other narrative. The first reading from the book of Jeremiah. Although our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. Our apostasies indeed are many, and we have sinned against you. O hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land? like a traveler turning aside for the night? Why should you be like someone confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot give help? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not forsake us. 
Thus says the Lord concerning this people, Truly they have loved to wander, they have not restrained their feet, therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Have you completely rejected Judah? Does your heart loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there is no healing for us? We look for peace, but find no good. For a time of healing, but there is terror instead. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, the iniquity of our ancestors, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Can any idols of the nations bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Is it not you, O Lord, our God? We set our hope on you, for it is you who do all this. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. The second reading from 2 Timothy, the conclusion of this letter to a young minister offers a final perspective on life from one who faced death. Though others let him down, Paul was sure of his faith in the Lord who stood by him and lent him strength. A reading from the second letter to Timothy. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Glory to Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. A sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, the source of life, and from Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we have been hearing a lot about the gospel. The good treasure, as 2 Timothy calls it, entrusted to each of us that makes sometimes oppressive texts, like 1 and 2 Timothy, worth the trouble. We have repeatedly, in this season of Reformation, returned as well to Martin Luther, who helps us better understand the gospel by defining it as the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. A message, and this is one of my favorite lines from Luther, that one sings and tells with gladness. We learned finally from Scripture and Luther how this gospel, this good news, includes not only the forgiveness of our sins, but also the victory of life over death in and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Indeed, Christ has abolished death, as 1 Timothy 1.10 says, setting us free to live with the knowledge that death will not have the last word. I was recently, for the sake of a course I'm teaching, rereading uh, excerpts from Martin Luther, and I saw what he said uh, at his daughter's funeral. He stood up, apparently, and proclaimed, there will be a resurrection. He was convinced of the gospel that death, indeed, will not have the last word. Today, however, all this talk about God's victory over death and especially this forgiveness of sins comes to a screeching halt thanks to Jeremiah, our first reading. Here, we discover that God's mercy has limits, that some of the Israelites' worst behaviors are apparently too great to pardon. We will turn to Jeremiah 14 in a moment, but first I want to ask each of you a question. Do you believe there are limits to God's mercy? Do you believe there are limits to God's mercy such that some people, the extremes, cannot or will not be forgiven by God? Indeed, does God's mercy triumph over judgment, as James 1.13 puts it? Or are some sins simply too great even for God to forgive? Well, some of us might think in response to this question, the answer depends on which version of God we have in mind. If we are talking about the Old Testament God of wrath and judgment, then yes, mercy has limits. God does not forgive everyone their sins in the Old Testament. 
If we are talking about the New Testament and its God of love, on the other hand, then there are no limits to God's mercy. God is love, as 1 John 4, 8 says. No sin is too great for God to forgive, provided one sincerely repents. Isn't this what Jesus teaches? Now, for those of you who are guests, you will know in a minute that I'm setting this up to knock it down. This is how I work. When Peter comes to Jesus and asks how many times he should forgive another member of the church who sins against him, Jesus replies that he should do so not merely seven, but 77 times. That's from Matthew 18. While vengeance, at least before the institution of the Ten Commandments, had no limits, Jesus tells us here that among those who wait for the coming of God's kingdom, mercy has no limits. Seventy times seven is not to be taken literally. Can you imagine counting the sins of your brother or sister in the pews? Get up to uh, close to 500 and say, all right, we're nearing the end of this. It points rather to figuratively to the limitless grace which is to be displayed by the child of God. Do you hear that? The limitless grace. Hmm. Notice, however, the limit implied in Peter's question. He wants to know how often he should forgive another member of the church, a fellow sibling in Christ. But what about those who do not belong to the church? Is Jesus telling Peter to forgive non-Christians without limit to? Or does this apply only to believers? Well, Jesus leaves this question unanswered in his exchange with Peter. Other passages in the New Testament clearly place limits on what one of our hymn writers calls the wideness of God's mercy. Let me give you several examples. First, Jesus says that he will deny those who deny, before, who deny him before his Father in heaven. That's Matthew 10. Now, this passage always comes to mind when I am working at a coffee shop, say, on a sermon, and I have my Bible turned upside down. I don't want to attract unwanted attention, which usually comes to me from religious fanatics who tell me all about how the world's going to end tomorrow. So I turn the Bible face down so that people won't see. Is that a denial of Jesus, I wonder to myself? Will I therefore be denied by my Father in heaven? In the same gospel, Jesus says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom from heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So... For those of us who don't talk the talk and walk the walk, there seems to be a limit there. It's possible we may not be forgiven. In Mark and Luke, on the other hand, Jesus says God will, in fact, forgive those who deny him. So that's good news for me in the coffee shop. I'm actually not denying Jesus. I'm just denying unwanted attention. That's self-justification, forgive me. But God will not forgive those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Luke 12 and Mark 3. 
So what does it mean, you've probably heard this before, this talk of blasphemy against the Spirit. What does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Well, in context, it refers to the denial that Jesus and his followers derived their healing power from God rather than the forces of evil. Deny the healing power that Jesus exercises on behalf of God, we hear in Mark and Luke, and God will not forgive you. The distinction we sometimes make, as I did earlier, between the Old Testament God of wrath and the New Testament God of love accordingly does not hold. Both testaments occasionally place limits on divine mercy. Denying Christ in the midst of persecution is an unforgivable sin for Matthew. While denying the Holy Spirit as the true source of healing in the miracles of Christ and his followers is the unforgivable sin for Mark and Luke. Not all sins, it would seem, are forgivable. Today, of course, few of us would identify blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in our catalog of potentially unforgivable human behavior. Instead, a host of other examples arise. We might think, for instance, of men like Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, or even Vladimir Putin as unforgivable insofar as they cost millions of innocent people their lives. In the United States, on the other hand, we might consider those who organized and benefited from the institution of slavery in this country as beyond the pale of God's forgiveness. Andrew Weimer of Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary lists a few more. Does God forgive the 16th century conquistadors, accompanying friars and their sponsoring institutions whose genocides killed millions of indigenous persons in the Americas? Can God forgive those of us alive now, those of us like me who experience social privilege along the lines of race, class, gender, sexuality, or ability, who, do, who have not practiced reformations or dismantled the violent systems from which we benefit? Can God forgive us as we extract from the earth and consume the spoils in such a way that is driving the sixth mass extinction this planet has ever known, the extermination of countless species other than human creatures? Can God forgive these people? Can God forgive us for what we do to each other and what we do to this pale blue dot, the planet Earth? We know what our theology says. Of course, God will forgive anyone as long as they ask sincerely. Jeremiah 14, however, suggests otherwise. Here we encounter a God whose forgiveness has limits or perhaps boundaries. Here we meet a God who disregards the repentance of his own people as if to say, nope, sorry, too little, too late. I once really hammered the pulpit and there was a child sitting in the front row and I made him cry. So now I just lightly tap it. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's why nobody sits in the front. It's not that we're Lutherans. They're just afraid of what I'm going to do to the pulpit. Too little, too late, God says. Now, in Jeremiah 14, God's attitude toward the people of Israel becomes clear once we distinguish who speaks and when, which is why, again, we had uh, verse 10 in boldface. According to verses 7 through 9, the people implore God to forgive them and save them from their time of trouble. As the omitted verses indicate, the Israelites are in a perilous situation. Drought ravishes their land, just as it does today in many parts of our country and world, including where I'm from in Northern California. The people suffer, and they attribute their suffering to God, who they believe is punishing them for their sins. The Lord speaks then in verse 10. He refers to the Israelites as people who, quote, loved to wander, end quote. That is, a people who committed idolatry by worshiping the deities of their tribal neighbors. Now, God will punish them. Now, God will make them suffer for their disloyalty, for their wandering, even though God weeps, according to verse 17, at their impending destruction. In verses 19 through 22, the Israelites again beg for forgiveness. They refer to the terror around them, possibly a reference to the Assyrians of the 8th century BCE, who, like members of ISIS today, were known for beheading their enemies and who would soon wipe out 10 of Israel's 12 tribes. That said, the Israelites in chapter 14 persist. They remind God of God's covenant, which is to say God's binding contract of love with God's people. And they compare the power of God to the futility of idols. Can any idol of the nations bring rain, they ask? Is it not you, O Lord our God, who does these things? The pleading of the Israelites nevertheless goes unheard. Why? Probably, according to Jeremiah, because God recognizes their fair-weather faith. As one commentary explains, in their need, they remember God. In their prosperity, they forget God. No intercession or ritual act will avert the divine punishment. These people have wandered they poured out drink offerings to other gods, as Jeremiah 7 says, and in so doing, they provoke God's unforgiving wrath. According to the prophet, they earn their punishment, they deserve it, and they illustrate that even God's mercy has limits. Now, that's probably the closest to hellfire and damnation I've ever preached, but hold on. Presumably, none of us pour out drink offerings to other gods. And if you do, I'd like to hear about it. But where do our loyalties lie? Do we wander? Do we forget the God of our faith in sometimes idolatrous pursuits of wealth, status, romantic love, attention, 
success, perfection, or the constant need to fill our calendars or our children's calendars with things to do? Do we take time to be still and know God is God, as Psalm 46 says, to stand before the wonder of God in and through nature, or to meet God as Christ in our neighbor's need? Or do we turn to God only in our hour of need? Hmm. Now, as a Lutheran Christian, I place my hope in a God whose forgiveness has no limits. That is, a God who ultimately conquers the powers of sin and death that separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I trust in the God, as the gathering hymn puts it, who in Christ comes to us by death and sin surrounded, yet with grace unbounded. I think of my own sins, of ways I have hurt people in the past, my shortcomings as a pastor, ways that I have wandered, my lack of patience, my idolatrous perfectionism. And I cling to the promise in the second stanza of the hymn I just cited that all men and women who by guilt are driven now are all forgiven. Beyond that, I think of you as your pastor, and I pray for you that you may also hear the word of forgiveness the promise of grace and mercy as if it was spoken to each one of you personally, that you may feel liberated from whatever guilt, disloyalty, or regret burdens you. God forgives you, God accepts you, God releases you. I pray, as we observed earlier in the service, that you recall your baptism and how its waters made you clean in the name of the triune God. And I hope, as 1 Timothy 4.10 puts it, for the salvation of all people, not only of those who believe, but of those who do not. The rest I leave to God. Some time back, I was at the uh, deathbed of... Uh, someone connected to the congregation. And I remember she had experienced severe abuse and trauma in her life growing up. And she confided in me that she didn't have the power to forgive. And all I could say was, then give it to God. God loves more than we can. That said, I firmly believe that Jeremiah 14 has something to teach us this morning, which may explain even why it's in the Bible. Here we learn, by the way, I can't figure out why Numbers is in the Bible. It's a census of the 8th century. It's like reading a phone book. But here in Jeremiah, we learn, contrary to the, temple of, to, contrary to the example of the Israelites at the time, that we should never take God's grace and mercy for granted. We should never assume God will forgive us, but recognize, as Luther said just before he died, that we are all beggars. That's my view. What about you? Do you believe there are limits to God's mercy? Are there some forms of human behavior, like the trauma or abuse that I mentioned, 
that God cannot or will not forgive? Or do you resist making such distinctions, seeing us as all sinners and trusting that ultimately, again, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, not even sin or death? If the latter, then Jeremiah should at least give you pause. Why? Because, as I said, it teaches us that even if we place our hope in a totally gracious God, we should never, ever take such grace for granted. Here, then, is the message I take from Jeremiah 14. We may be right to hope and trust that in the end, love wins, that God will forgive all of us our sins, but we should never expect it or feel entitled to it. We should receive it rather as the tax collector does in today's gospel reading, humbly. After all, we deserve nothing from anyone, not even God. We come therefore as beggars and we ask God humbly for forgiveness. May God's grace therefore surprise you with joy release you from your devotion to the idols of our age along with their false promises and purify you so that we may be righteous before God and servants to one another out of gratitude for just how amazing God's grace truly is. Every single day is a gift by grace. Live it and respond to it accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.
Twice a year, we have a very special day, and that is the blessing of the beautiful quilts and kits that have been prepared by members of the congregation. I invite you now, please, to remain standing as you are able, and if you wish, to place one of your hands on the quilt in front of you. God, our neighbors around the world are in need of hope. Your spirit is a mighty force. Your whispers of hope bring reassurance into the world. Open our hearts and hands to feel your presence around us, in our neighborhoods, and with others across the world. God, we give you thanks for the pieces of fabric, thread, the sewing machines, and the items collected for the school kits, personal care kits, baby care kits, and fabric kits. May their presence be a sign of hope. May these quilts wrap our neighbors in unending love, and may these kits give strength to those who struggle against hardship. God, we give thanks for all the hands that fashioned hope into a quilt, for the hands that collected and sorted, for the hands that continually open wider so that no one feels left out. Bless our quilting ministry at Queen Anne Lutheran and all who share in it. God, we ask you to guide the staff and partners at LWR. Make their voices and hands be a beacon of hope. Keep them safe. Keep them filled with your strength and perseverance. Be with those who pack and deliver these kits. God, be with our neighbors who will receive these gifts. Whether we know their names or where they live, they are our neighbors, made in your image as we are children of one humanity. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's loudest whisper of hope and healing to the world. Amen. Recognizing God's abundant hope, let us be a sign of hope to our neighbors near and far, offering hands to hold and compassion from our hearts in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For the prayers of the church, we invite you to be seated or kneel, whichever your preference. In gratitude and humility, let us join together in prayer on behalf of all of God's creation. God of mercy, you are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Inspire your church to serve and love all people with the unceasing grace you extend to us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of all creation, you formed a world where even the sparrow finds a home. Lead us and help us to protect it. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of peace, you are an ever-present help in time of trouble. Rescue families and nations torn apart by violence and warfare, especially Ukraine. Unite all people towards common goals of reconciliation and peace for every person. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of hope, you stand with the suffering and give strength. Comfort people filled with fear, anger, anxiety, or shame. Bring healing to all who are sick. Lord, in your mercy, 
Hear our prayer. God of restoration, you call us to trust in you and not ourselves alone. Make us a community of humility and repentance, ready to encounter you in love and follow in your ways. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For whom or what else did the people of God pray? Kind and loving God, we pray for each person gathered here that you be with them in their joys and in their struggles. We pray as well for Shana, for Matthew, for Kirsten, for Kathleen, for the Porters, for Finley, Kirsty, for the family of Michael, for the Vega family, for Elena, for the Unseths, for Jessica and her parents, for John's friend, for Christine, David, Jim, Awatosh, Mulugeta, Jan, Richard, Ben, Lee, Barb, Denny, Mary, Ruth, Hildy, and Carol. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God of never-ending life, we give you thanks, as Second Timothy says, for all who have fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith, and now live with you. Use the lives they led as examples for us all. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. With grateful hearts, we commend our spoken and silent prayers to you, O God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please rise now as you are able for the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is our duty and delight that we should everywhere and always offer thanks and praise to you, O Lord, through Jesus Christ, who calls us to follow his way of humble service and love. And so with the church on earth, all creation and the host of heaven. We praise your name and join their unending In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, saying, 
Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, power, and the glory are yours now and forever. In this place of grace, all are welcome to the table of grace. If you wish to receive a blessing in place of the Eucharist, simply fold your arms. At this time, I invite those who are communing from the pew using communables to follow my lead. Christ is among us. Receive the bread of life. This is his body broken for you. This is his blood shed for you.
Let us pray. God of the abundant table, you have refreshed our hearts in this meal with bread for the journey. Give us your grace on the road that we might serve our neighbors with joy for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. At this time, I would like to invite forward Justin for the transfer of membership to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. Justin, as you may know, is uh, the father of Callum, and his wife Brianna joins us as well, uh, as additionally other family members. Baptism in the Lutheran tradition is where uh, the seeds of faith are planted, as Luther says. This is an opportunity for people, the community, to gather around the person who is being baptized to promise to be the vessels of God by nurturing that person's faith. It's not a magic act. It's a communal act whereby we together affirm the child's baptism and become, as I said, vessels through which God helps nurture and grow those seeds of faith. Justin, you have made public profession of your faith and have expressed your desire to join our faith community through transfer from your previous Lutheran church. Do you intend to continue in the covenant God made with you in holy baptism to live among God's people, to hear the word of God and share in the Lord's Supper, to proclaim the good news of God in Christ through word and deed, to serve all people following the example of Jesus, and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth. If so, say, I do, and I ask God to help and guide me. I do, and ask God to help and guide me. People of God, Do you promise to support Justin and pray for him in his life in Christ? Let us pray. We give you thanks, O God, that you call us out of isolation and into fellowship we have with you in Christ. Be with Justin and all those who gather here today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Please welcome Justin as our new brother in Christ. Now, Justin and Brianna have an interesting story, and what I've gathered is that they wandered about as long as the Israelites did in the wilderness. Uh, Let's see. I can't get all of this right. They have a dog named Beaumont. I know that. Uh, They look forward to the day now that they're in the Midwest, I'm sorry, the Northwest, uh, coming from the Midwest, uh, where they can take Callum hiking and go skiing. They have spent uh, considerable time in Chicago, and then to London, and then back to the States here to Seattle. And Justin was raised at Mount Olivet, a Lutheran church, which is slightly bigger than Queen Anne Lutheran Church by about several thousand people, if I, if I understand correctly. Uh, we are absolutely delighted to welcome uh, Justin, Brianna, and Callum into our fellowship. And I uh, invite you after the service, please, to greet the family and welcome all of them here. Thank you for being with us today and welcome to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. Oh, and they're accountants. I forgot to mention that. I don't know why. <laughs> Random. Uh, Good morning, and um, welcome once more to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. I wanted to highlight just a few announcements um, before I turn this over briefly to Rich, who has an announcement as well. First of all, 
If you are visiting or new to the church, I invite you to fill out a Connect card in the pew in front of you. Uh, Those uh, um, pews also have prayer requests, so you're welcome to fill out one of those. In the forum today, I want to thank our cantor, Kyle, for presenting an excellent discussion uh, on hymns of the Reformation. Again, we're building toward Reformation Sunday, which is next week, and uh, it will culminate with the renewal of the ringing of a bell, that is the bell outside, by one of our oldest members, Ethan Boyson. So, I'm kidding, Ethan is a child. But he will, he will, uh, he will be ringing the bell to usher in uh, us as we uh, gather on Reformation Sunday. So, the hymns that you're hearing about, the hymns Kyle discussed, uh, my references constantly to Martin Luther, are all a way of building up toward Uh, Reformation Sunday, which is next week, and we really hope you can join us. We also hope after today's worship that you are able to stay after church to help weigh and pack the kits and quilts. Rich will say more about that in a moment. We are delighted uh, as well, already mentioned, to welcome Justin and Brianna. Brianna, and then finally, I wanted to give thanks to Jim Margard. Uh, He sponsored uh, half a table at uh, the... uh, um, Uh, New Horizons uh, dinner that some of us attended yesterday. So thank you to Jim for your generosity uh, and for the work that you do. And thank you for those who are able to join us at the uh, uh, New Horizons. They are doing incredible work and they are housing uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of uh, youth experiencing homelessness. So uh, we're right to support them. Again, next week is Reformation Sunday. There's information there in the bulletin. Between services, we won't have a forum, but instead we're hoping to have coffee, cookies, uh, and someone to help us clean up after we gather. So if you feel so inclined to help out between services next Sunday, uh, we'll be gathering in the conference room. Please see me. I would love your assistance. Rich, you have an announcement. This one's never short. Um, as most of you know, if you've been here before, we're going to pack up all these quilts. And part of the packing is not just putting the quilts in a box. It's putting a little barcode label so we can trace them overseas that goes in the box and on the outside of the box. So that's true of all these boxes behind me that are the kits. They have to have labels on them too, so don't just seal them up. Um, how many of you in here can count to eight? Some of you can't. Okay. When we do the quilts, they go in boxes, and I would like one person to stand by each box who can count. So those of you who can count to eight can do that. And the other person who can't count can bring the quilts over, because it's always nice if at the end our total quilt count equals what the ladies think the quilts were. It's kind of discouraging if we claim we only boxed 50 and They have 75 on the pews. Um, So we would like that as close as possible. And then for those of you who are new to this, um, I'm not sure if it's Chloe or whom, somebody will be up here with the barcode labels that will go in the box. So you figure out if you have four in your your box or eight in your box, just come up and get the appropriate label. And even though it's a barcode, it has some English that does say quilts and four and things like that. And the only other thing about boxes. At the very end, then we'll seal them up with good tape. Um, The boxes behind me, apple boxes that have a lid, you don't need to tape apple boxes with a lid. But all the ones that have, 
you know, fold, fold in four lids or four flaps, we can do that. Okay. And then the other thing I've got for you. Everybody is welcome to attend this. And I'm even going to propose a, well, this may be heretical. I know we sort of li listen to Kyle at the end, but you can sort of start working on this while you listen to, just don't make too much noise. Um, and then an another thing totally unrelated to this LWR thing. How many of you have ever attended a finance committee meeting? A couple of you. Well, you're on finance committee, you don't count. And how many of you would like to attend a finance committee meeting? Hands? One. Great. Because if, if nobody raised their hand, the finance committee would be kind of hurt. Um, on Tuesday, the finance committee is having a meeting is to discuss the guidelines for next year. And you can zoom into this so you don't have to come to church. It's 6 to 8 on Tuesday. And I'm just pointing this out because... What was sent out Friday in the email, one of the places said it was at 4.30. It is 6 to 8 on Tuesday. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Candy. That's a very good point. Um, the way we pay to send... The, the quilts cost about 75 cents... Well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, about $2 and something to get overseas, whatever, whatever. So there's little envelopes that are outside in the narthex. So if you're willing to sponsor a quilt all the way to Iraq or somewhere, um, you can think how many you want to sponsor. We actually have 75 quilts in here. Um, and then all these other things cost their own amounts of whatever it is. It's really based on weight partially, um, but I won't bore you with details. Um, so anybody who can contribute, do that. If you want to write a check, make it out to QALCW Quilt and Kit Shipping, something like that. Thank you. Behind me is the altar of forgiveness, but this is the lectern of forgetfulness. When you stand here, you forget all kinds of things. So I wanted to say, in addition to what Rich just shared, uh, two things. Number one, as was recommended by members of the congregation, we're doing a special forum on Christian nationalism as zombie apocalypse. We will be welcoming via Zoom Dr. Jeff Robbins, who is the author of Doing Theology in the Age of Trump, looking at the growing popularity of nationalism on the eve of the election almost. So please consider joining us for that forum on November 6th. You'll be able to do so via Zoom or gather here with us in person. Information uh, additionally about that is in your bulletin. Finally, I will be away this week teaching at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley. If you have an emergency, Pastor Christy Daniels is on call. And of course, you can always call or text me and I will um, connect you with another pastor, if, uh, if not Christy. All right, let us close with the blessing. Please rise as you are able. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace.
Our sending hymn is Go My Children With My Blessing, number 543.